0: This is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors in partnership with Warriors Quest is brought to you by Martin Archery, the number one archery company. Martin Archery combines leading-edge modern technology with innovative design to give serious bow hunters and target archers what they demand. Axis Camera Arms. For a camera arm that offers a smooth, full range of motion without restriction, lightweight, easy to pack, the name speaks for itself, the Axis Revolution. Conquest Sense. For more than 15 years, Conquest Sense has been selling premium hunting scents to hunters around the country. Bojax Ink, the best design archery dampening system. Simmons Optics, everything you need, nothing you don't. Ozonics, undetectable, undeniable. Dry-shod waterproof footwear, the most wearable rubber boot. Veteran Innovative Products VIP Broadheads, the first and only scalpel-sharp broadhead with dual-spring variable cutting width suspension for superior penetration. Elevated Safety Systems, Rancho Rio Lindo in Uvalde, Texas. Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Eufaula, Alabama. So, this is episode 14 of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast Budgeting the Bullet. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Sportsman Shield, a durable outdoor decal that's designed to make thieves believe your trail camera has a GPS tracking device. Uh, not only is it for your trail camera anymore, but they also make them with the new release for your tree stand. Um, hunt more worry less. So you go on their website, add some of those sweet decals to your cart, and before you check out, use the code UPoutdoors20 at checkout, capital U, capital P, capital O and outdoors20 at checkout for 20% off your next order. So tonight's episode, we're going to cover uh, the three tiers of budget rifle building per se, or how to build a rifle on a budget or make what you have work. In uh, tonight's episode, I'm joined by a long friend of mine, uh, Tyke, who is also a gunsmith. So he's our safety expert. Uh, Tyke, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, hi. Um, my name's Tyke. I've, uh, I've grown up around guns. Uh, was I was raised around them. My dad was also a gunsmith. And I learned a lot about doing that, uh, just in the natural course of growing up. So when I got out of the army, I went to gunsmithing school. I have an associate's degree in gunsmithing from SDI and, and that's where I'm at now. So I, I mostly the work that I do now, I, as a lot of cleaning, um, and I do also a lot of, uh, inspections and stuff like that i've done uh about three or four rifle builds i've built a couple of handguns i've built numerous ar-15s and i have a pretty good idea of what's going on as far as how guns operate and what to keep them what uh, what to do to keep them running efficiently
0: so the the big thing i i wanted to have you on here tonight for tyke was mainly for the uh the the safety reasons um because especially in today's age of information uh with youtube out there uh it would give you the false confidence that you could do it. um but without a little bit of technical knowledge and know-how there are some
1: things you probably should leave up to a gunsmith right uh, certainly certainly cutting a chamber i would say is probably one of the biggest things that you should Leave to the professionals, especially when we're talking about rifles or, or really any firearm for that matter. Uh, cutting the chamber and testing it. Uh, also, any type of bolt work where you're facing a bolt or blueprinting, anything like that, where you're going to change head spacing, something like that. Unless you have the proper calibration equipment, I would stay away from from doing jobs like that. As as far as, you know, if you wanted to restock a rifle or maybe uh, try to mount a scope, especially if it's already got the, the mounting holes in there, I, I, anybody with a, a vice and some screwdrivers could feel free to attempt something like that.
0: So, you know me, and you know I'm broke. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. so- Let's let's start at the bottom. We'll work our way to the top. We're, we're going to go ahead and, and we'll start, and we'll say that we're going to build off a rifle you already have or one that you may have been given. Uh, but we're going to assume your your the rifle you have or you've been given is is already chambered in in a caliber caliber suitable for taking North American big game. So. Uh, we'll say 270 or 30-06 or something of that with a longer action something and, and let you say you, we're going to stick to assuming maybe you were given this by his grandfather's rifle so we're looking at something a little older uh, probably a little could be a little worse for the wear what is, what is something that could be done to make, make the fit and function and accuracy
1: improve on that rifle well the the one of the big things I think a lot of people don't think about is they inherit a rifle from granddad who was six foot five and they're five foot ten, and they try and go shoot this rifle and it's just kicking the shit out of them. Uh, one of the biggest things that you can do is actually get that stock to fit you. There's a couple of different ways to do that. If it's if it's too long for you, you can obviously have the stock cut down or cut it down yourself. It's it's not going to be unsafe for you to try to cut the stock down yourself. And just move the butt pad and reshape it to fit. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that kind of work, then then those types of adjustments will not only make that rifle shoot more accurately, but it'll also reduce felt recoil. Uh, another another thing that you really want to look at, especially with older rifles, is the crown. The crown can get uh, have a lot of damage, and any any type of raised burr or anything like that. Uh, inconsistency in the crown on the muzzle is going to cause a lot of problems. When the gases exit the barrel behind the bullet, if gases are able to project out one point before they are any other point, then that's going to push the, the round, the bullet when it exits the muzzle in, in a strange direction. So uh, that's another thing. If, if you're, if you've got a rifle that should shoot and doesn't, you take just take a real hard look at the at the crown and make sure there's not any inconsistencies there because that that will cause a a rifle to shoot very poorly.
0: Oh, ex- explain what the crown is so they know what they're
1: looking at. Okay, on the on the end of the muzzle, which is the uh, the dangerous end where the bullet comes out. Uh, you'll see that you have uh, three or four different types of crowns you have a rounded crown it's it's how they finish the end of the muzzle where the bullet comes out and so you have a different kind, a few different types of crowns and so sometimes they're round sometimes they're flat sometimes they're recessed uh sometimes they they are actually uh tapered in and and just that area right around the bore uh, which is where it's rifled and and the bullet comes out around that area if there's any nicks dings burrs cracks scratches anything like that it it will probably need to be addressed uh, that's why it's it's very important when you are out hunting to be you know aware of where your your muzzle is all the time because if you if you mess the crown up it it can greatly degrade accuracy
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's something you could definitely be running into, like you said, especially if it's been handed down from generation to generation. If you're looking, you could be looking at Grandpa's Mauser that he brought back from World War II or Great Grandpa's Mauser, and really, I mean, no, no telling what kind of hell that rifle's been put through uh, before it got to Grandpa's hands.
1: So... Or- <coughs> or who knows, you know, uh, maybe, maybe uncle Jim had the rifle for a while and, and was showing it off and accidentally dropped it or one of his buddies dropped it. It's just hard to say. And, uh, what, what will happen if you have a, a crown that is not in good shape is you'll have really very erratic shot placement. So if, if you're having a hard time figuring out what's going on go ahead and take a look at the crown and, and it's not a bad idea when I bring rifles in, not necessarily from the range, but when I've been out hunting and I bring them in and I'm cleaning them, I'll inspect the crown just to make sure that, you know, I didn't put it down in the wrong place or bump into something. And, um, you know, a hunting rifle is a working rifle. And so I, I look at that a lot like the, you know, the issued gun I had in the army, they, uh, I didn't baby that thing. It, it saw some action. And so right. I, uh, you know, a hunting rifle is the same way in my opinion. And so I, I just, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to my rifles when I'm in the field uh, because that's not what it's about. It's not about my baby rifle. Uh, I'm there for another reason. And so that that's a tool to accomplish a job. And when I get done for the day, I just inspect that stuff because I've just walked around for the last 12 hours with the rifle and, anything could have happened that I didn't notice, or maybe I did notice, but just didn't care because I was focused on other things. And so I just inspected to make sure that it, it looks good. There's nothing obvious there. Uh, when it gets tricky is if you've got something shooting really erratic and you need you need some sort of a bore scope to be able to actually look maybe, you know, uh, a quarter inch or so inside of the muzzle uh, because you might get a, a stick or a pebble or something gets in there and causes, and scores, scores the muzzle in there, then uh, that's what's really hard to see, but as long as the rifle's shooting pretty well, you know, you're hitting a man-sized target or a paper, you know, you're on, you're on a pie plate at 100 yards, consistently, you're probably not having muzzle issues, Uh, so that is one thing to look at, and it, the strange thing about the crown is that it can present itself in all sorts of ways. So, uh, if, if you're having a really hard time grouping, take a good look at the muzzle because that can, that can cause a lot of different problems and there is no really one classification for, uh, symptoms that it will present.
0: You know, it's something you haven't mentioned that I've seen be an issue, not necessarily in, uh, Larger caliber rifles, and I don't know how much of an issue it, it would present in rifles of that nature, but in old .22s, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it too. The 22 that that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. By the time you get a hold of it, it, it won't hit, it won't hit a pie plate at 25 yards. And then you clean it, and the amount of lead that is built up inside the lands and grooves in the rifling. The barrel is ungodly.
1: Well, yeah, there's there's no uh, lands and grooves left. It's just lead. Yeah, smooth bore, basically a smooth <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there, there's just there's just lead left. Uh that that's another thing, and, and you'll see that is and and not only in anything that shoots a uh, a lead bullet will will lead the bore. Uh so twenty twos are a very common example, but you're old 4570s and uh 4440s and all of that generation lever guns where they'd shot a lot of cast lead stuff uh you'll you'll see a lot of leading in those situations too and shotgun bores pick up a lot of lead too less that's less important but uh they they will and and a good lead remover uh one thing about i I saw a a 22 an old Sears and Roebuck 22 that just it's it stopped shooting accurately. Well, it hadn't been clean since you know the 1950s. Since it and, was manufactured, what's that? I said since it was manufactured, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it it came home from Sears and Roebuck and it and it it got wiped down with gun oil to keep it from rusting, but it it never saw a, a bore patch in its life and um. So, so part of that, you, you use a good lead remover. Uh, the shooter's choice is the one that I use, but there's there's a lot of uh, good lead removers on the market, and it, it takes a lot of time to get lead fouling out of out of a bore like that. It just, uh, just you know run a wet patch, let it soak, run a dry patch, patch, run a brush, run a wet patch, let it soak, brush, dry patch, rinse, repeat, and it, it, it did when I when I was cleaning that old 22. I'd say it took me about uh, five days to get it, and most of that was allowing it to soak for about you know 20, 30 minutes between between running a brush and a patch and a new patch, and that's just to help help break up that lead and get it out. Uh, this is not an issue that you find though with with rifles that are mostly shooting copper projectiles, and in that case you get copper fouling. Um copper is nowhere near as bad as lead fouling is and until it gets bad. And then it's worse to remove than lead fouling is.
0: Well it's a lot harder metal.
1: Yes. And, and it, it definitely takes a longer time to to clean out than than lead does. Um that's why usually uh what I'll what I'll do is after I after I go shoot for the day or uh, shoot more than about five rounds. So I don't, I don't, I won't clean a hunting rifle every single time I take it out hunting. Uh, but if I go to the range and I shoot five or 10 rounds through a rifle, I will bring it back. I'll run one or two patches with copper, copper solvent on them and then just a regular uh, powder solvent, like Butch's Boar Shine. I'll run, I'll run through and then uh, uh, chase it through with some some sort of a preservative to keep the boar from uh, picking up any moisture or anything like that. Um, so that's, that is usually my routine. If, if I take the rifle out hunting and, and I don't shoot it or anything like that, then mostly what I'll do is uh, run a preservative down the boar and then wipe it down with the preservative just to protect the metallic surfaces right
0: so if you haven't figured out yet a boar snake is not enough it's not a, a cleaning tool as much as it is a maintaining tool
1: i love boar snakes they're great for what they're be used for yeah so so usually i i keep them in my hunting bag or in the truck and when i get back from the day uh, i i just pull the boar snake through it i put a little bit of preservative on that tail end of the boar snake behind everything. I just put a little bit of preservative on there and just pull that thing through the boar and wipe it down, put it in the case, and then I don't have to worry about it till the next time I go out. Uh, and I'll, I'll do the same thing, you know, if I do make a shot when I'm out. I will, or at the range. I will still do the same thing at the range. I'll pull a preservative through it, wipe it down. That'll at least get me into the next day. Sometimes when I'm out shooting, I don't get back until – you know six seven o'clock at night and i'm not in the mood to to clean my firearm and so I, I put some sort of preservative just to keep it until i can get to it you know generally by within a week and uh, i just everything everything in the safe is just kept that way it's kept clean i don't have to worry about it and and I know it's good to go the next time we need to take it out. it's uh, it, There's nothing worse than planning on going in. You're going to grab your favorite hunting rifle out of out of the cabinet and you're going to out of this safe and you're going to go to the woods and you pull it out and you got rust in the board. you got a messed up crown. Uh, the actions seized closed because it's got who knows how much carbon in there. And and now you've got to find a gunsmith that can fix this. Well, that's going to ruin the entire hunting season. Right.
0: Yeah. And you know, another thing too, uh, that you didn't mention going through, uh, to help improve accuracy. Um, just because grandpa gave you that 30 out six with a box of 185 grain 30 out six doesn't mean that that's the best grain weight to be shooting to that rifle.
1: No, 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 no. Um, there's, there's the Lord knows how many, um, different grain weights in 30 caliber and 30 out six specifically and i've got i've got two 270s nearly identical and one prefers 150 grain and the other one prefers 130 grain and that's just the way they work um i my dad has the same 270 and my brother has the same 270 and they are identical um and we all shoot Different grain weight bullets out of them because that is what that rifle likes. Uh, twist rate on the barrel has a has a big effect on that, but it's not it's not everything. So you can't look at one one rifle that's a a uh, one in ten twist rate and just figure that all of your one in ten twist rate rifles are going to want the same bullet. That's usually a pretty good indicator where to start. But it's not necessarily cold hard fact. And another so,
0: thing, especially the advancements in powder uh, we have now versus even ten years ago, um, you you could see a difference in accuracy in the same grain weight between three different brands. I mean, if you're buying, <clears> yourself. you could
1: see it, you could see a difference in accuracy between the same brand from. 32 degree morning to 50 degree evening with a 65 degree afternoon. The the burn rate of the powder is dependent upon the ambient temperature, and so you can actually see some sort of a deviation in velocity. Your your uh, your standard deviation of velocity can change based on your ambient temperatures. And so, yes, you can, you'll definitely see changes in accuracy between different brands uh, and not only different brands of ammunition you buy off the shelf, but the brand of bullet that that ammunition ammunition manufacturer uses when they reload. Uh, Primers don't really have a huge effect on accuracy as long as they're all the same brand. Um, uh, case the case that it that is, is loaded has the bullet loaded in it will make a big difference uh because even though it still fits uh thirty out six case fits a thirty out six chamber, the wall thickness of the case could be thicker or thinner which changes the uh, in internal volume of that case and can if you can get one more grain in there or you have slightly more area for the pressure to build inside that case, it can change your max deviation as well, which a change in velocity uh, deviation can actually cause uh, pretty significant differences when you start talking about ranges over about 700 yards. And so if you see 10, 10 feet per second change um, at the muzzle, you you might see you know close close to uh, a couple of inches when you start talking getting out to six seven hundred yards just because you don't have the velocity to carry the bullet at the same speed
0: right and I mean that's that's get breaking it down to the extreme technical side of that and I know you're a, you're a loader, so that's another one of those things where if you're really trying to pinch the pennies you you should be reloading your own rounds. Um that's not something cheap to start off start off with, but it will pay for itself in the long run.
1: It it will unless you're the you're a one week a year hunter, uh, then probably not cuz your yearly yearly ammunition expenses are Fifty bucks tops. You know, yeah, you got buy
0: a box, box. Going to the range and shooting, and and that's another thing too it, that's important. Is in and we've done it. Uh, sighted the gun in the middle of the summer, uh, and then we go to hunt towards the middle of the winter. But before we go out on that hunt,
1: we go to the range and we reconfirm zero. Well, and those that has a that's Fowler's too, and there's uh, that makes a, a pretty pretty big difference especially when you start talking about ranges over about three four hundred yards is is getting at least a couple of fowlers through the bore Uh, but yeah we we did we would we would go sight rifles and yeah at the end of summer middle of summer whatever we'd just go shooting for fun and and zero everything so we knew it was on but you know the weekend before we were getting ready to go on a hunt we'd go out to the range and we'd shoot about five rounds through the rifles just to make sure that everything's still good and that's putting some some fowlers down the bore, uh, and that and all that's all the fowlers are doing is any any type of scores or imperfections when they pulled the rifling, those fowlers and the copper on those bullets will fill those fine minute scratches with copper, and it smooths the bore out, so that you're not ending up with bullets coming out of the bore that have you know scratches or or anything like that in them because you've already shot a few rifles a few bullets through that through that bore and and those have taken a lot of those imperfections out of uh, the the rifling that was put in there
0: in the time you know the time that i'm thinking about that comes to mind we both did see a deviation in zero uh, My, might but not not enough to where it would have made a difference uh ethically taking game but there was a difference
1: seeing a difference in uh, point of impact Point of opinion, what, fact, uh, yeah. From a uh, clean bore through the fowlers, or from summer to winter, from summer to winter. Yeah, and you're going to see you're going to see that just because of the temperature differential, and you'll also see. Uh, and your fowlers or might shoot, they might shoot a half inch. They might fly out a half inch or uh, one inch at a hundred yards. So your first shot through a clean bore might fly all of one inch, and then the next four. You make this tight little group, you know, with, uh, um, un, you know, under three quarters of an inch. Well, that first shot, what that's doing is all of those imperfections and stuff down the bore, it's filling those up and it's sacrificing, basically it's sacrificing itself to fill the bore up for the rest of those uh, bullets that are going down there.
0: All right. So let's move on from this. Let's, let's say that um, you've got to go out and you're going to go purchase a reputable budget rifle um i i for one right now uh i like the uh i have a ruger american and that is a, a tack driver of a of a 400 rifle i don't know that you you could beat that for the price point the accuracy i got on of that rifle you, you it's it's hard to beat for that price point um
1: you chose a different route than I did. You went with the barreled action. Yes, um, I so I got a Howa fifteen hundred barrel action and six five Creedmoor, and I bought a Richards MicroFit gun stock. Um, there's Rifle Stocks dot com, and they've got excellent prices on un semi finished semi unleaded stocks. And so that that's what I went ahead and did. The, the stock I got was a walnut stock with rosewood caps, and I I think it cost me about a hundred and fifty dollars to get it delivered. It did take about six weeks, six eight weeks to get here. Uh, but in the grand scheme of thing, when you start looking at, at other getting a, either a fully inleted, fully finished stock that's walnut with rosewood, you're you're not talking a hundred fifty a hundred fifty bucks. You're talking Eight hundred dollars, and so um, it it made a big difference to get it here. And it does take a certain amount of woodworking skill to get it inletted and get the action put in where it needs to be, and and finish the barrel channel. And it comes in a very rough finish. Um, I I finished it with uh, linseed, boiled linseed oil, and uh, that's hand uh, just did a hand hand finish of boiled linseed oil which took me uh approximately three and a half months to do just the finish and so i would say start to finish not including waiting on everything to arrive it took me probably five months to finish the stock Um, it it came out (laughs) yeah did i save any money probably not if i figured out my hours but i enjoyed doing it and you know i i didn't I didn't actually pay out of pocket, you know, oh, so that's so the that's big thing. The big I, Thing we, we
0: we try to come across here is like where you literally saved physical dollars spent out of your pocket. You're able to invest your own
1: time and sweat to make up for that. Yeah, and and that when you look at it that way, that's pretty big savings because for all all tooled for 150 bucks for the stock and. $18 for linseed oil. I, I was able to, you know, make the stock for 200. I ended up saving $600. Yeah. It took me five months to do it, which is not great when you figure out my hourly rate, but that was not cash out of pocket. That was evenings, um, you know, evenings, drinking a beer in the garage and finishing a gun stock. And so, uh, it does, it did take a, a certain amount of woodworking tools, which I already had on hand from being a gunsmith. And so, you know, those, my, uh, my gouge gouges and files and all of that, I would say, you know, I, I got conservatively for about $200 for, for all of that stuff total. And so, you know, even though looking at that, that's, I mean, you're into it $400 if you're, if you don't have that stuff. And so.
0: You know, that's not something you couldn't have, spend a little time going to yard sales and finding either it's it's super easy to find woodworking tools especially at yard sale some of them um but you could have say you could have spent less than two hundred dollars by going around and picking up some of those tools at yard sales am i wrong
1: i uh no no you're not wrong and you would have to find so so some of them yeah you can find chisels and files and stuff at at yard sales um in in gunsmithing i chisels and files are a uh consumable item and so as they as they get worn out i i throw them away when they get dull and i buy new ones and so a lot of what you're going to find at yard sales are going to be uh dull files dull chisels if you have an idea of how to sharpen chisels then hey they're fine i buy a lot of chisels at yard sales because people want to get rid of them for 10 cents or you can buy you know just a a five gallon bucket full of chisels and files for five bucks and you know half of them may be garbage but the other half you might be able to, to get something out of them and it's totally worth it to to go ahead and keep your eyes peeled for stuff like that um uh, If, if a file has been ruined, the only thing it's good for is to make a chisel. (laughs) (laughs) So just, you know, keep, keep that in mind too, because you can, you can make, if you have the, the right equipment around, you can, you can use files for other things, but they're, they're so hard. You can't resharpen it as a file, but you can, you can grind them down and use them. If you've got a bench grinder, you can grind it into a chisel and it will work great for years. Um, they're just very hard to sharpen because of how hard the steel is.
0: So as far as the budget rifles go, uh, there's a lot of great plug and play stocks out there too. Um, I I took mine uh, and I put it into a Boyd's stock, which required very minor fitting like sandpaper. Um, and I could have, simply just bolted into the stock and and seen an uh saw seen improvement on accuracy which I did I bolted it first when I first got it I bolted it in there just to see what kind of difference in accuracy I got and I I did notice a slight improvement in accuracy uh where I was shooting a, a 1 inch uh five shot group uh with most of the rounds touching and towards you know pulling it out that making it that 1 inch I had round right um, putting it directly into that, that stiffer stock, uh, pulled the group in, side there, and then I went, instead of leaving it that way, I pulled the action and barrel back out, and I glass bedded uh, the area where the, the action goes in, and then now I'm seeing five shot groups where everything is, is almost one ragged hole.
1: Ab- absolutely. And, and what you're seeing there is no movement, in the action within the stock, the the Boyd stocks I love them. Uh, they're laminate, so they are much stronger than uh, traditional walnut is. I'm I'm kind of a classic guy, and so the reason I went with a uh, Richards gun stock is because I love walnut stocks. Um, I but I I kicked that around a long time because you can kick you can pick those Boyd's up for 100 150 bucks too, and they're almost plug and play. Um, they are plug and play in in insofar as that the action and barrel will fit in them as soon as they show up um, if If you want to remove any type of play, the only way that that Boyd 's can get away with having an, a stock show up at your house and you can drop your action in it is by making them slightly oversized and so in order to remove that movement you can you can glass bed that that stock. And it's, it's not really that difficult, depending on what, what barreled action you have. um, Some of the old military rifles are very difficult to, uh, to bed in the stock uh, just because they were not, they were not designed for it. They were, they were, uh, you know, all milled pieces or forged and riveted together. And if you try and bed something that has, rivets in it into a stock then you will have a permanently affixed action and stock combination
0: yeah a great example i have an m14 uh that was handed down to me or m m1a and there is no way in hell i would ever try to glass bed that thing <laughs> it can be done but that is far beyond my experience
1: yeah it, it can be done i i uh I understand that some of the, uh, the American mailed and the, the American made Enfields, um, the, the magazine box was made out of forged and riveted pieces of steel. And they actually had a lip that was about an eighth of an inch deep all the way around the magazine box. And if you tried to bed that, uh, you have a, a permanently affixed, uh, action barrel and stock combination there is no getting it out unless you you know completely destroy the stock you'd have to cut the stock off of it but um yeah they become permanently affixed and so just just one thing to think about if you're going to attempt glass bedding or something along those lines is make sure that you don't uh, glue the action the barreled action into the stock because uh, that that can cause a lot of problems.
0: And you can pick up uh, Arca Glass off of Brownell's website for 30 bucks, And it's going to come as a two-part uh, a mixture. It'll come with a cup to mix it in, uh, two parts for the glass, and then you'll have a release agent. And just be extremely liberal with... <laughs> uh, and t- you know, you, you put like painters tape on your stock because you don't want that stuff to get out because it will ooze out uh, when you when you put it in there. If you put enough of the the, the bedding agent in there, it's going to ooze out and it's going to get on your stock, and you don't want to put the release agent on the stock. You want to use like painters tape, and that's going to keep that from drying onto the stock or drying to the state to tape, and you'll be able to take that off of there. Uh, but the beauty of bedding, like glass bedding like my, the Ruger American like that is, is you can bet it, let it sit, take it back out. Um, and then if it, if you did it wrong, you can sand it away and try again, but you have to be very, very liberal with that, with that release agent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one thing. If you, if you think you have enough release agent, put more, yeah. Um, if you think you have too much, you're probably about right. Um, I almost—I went the
0: full length of the barrel down the stock with the release agent. The full length of the stock down the barrel with the release agent, I should say. Yeah. I didn't need. Yeah. It. I know I didn't, but it's one of those things. I'd rather be safe than sorry.
1: And and look, if you're not if you're not betting ten stocks a day, um, waste release agent because. If, if you're the type of person that's going to bed five rifles in your lifetime and just the the savings are not enough, uh, go ahead and waste it. You know you're you're not going to uh, you're not going to save any money by saving half a can of release agent just because for the next time. But you uh, there lose. are. I <laughs> say so you will lose money by gluing your action. Actual... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you won't lose any money because you know that rifle will be accurate. <laughs> You just, you just can't get it out. <laughs> so no, it, it will shoot. I've actually read a, quite a few articles about people that are shooting, uh, shooting long range for uh, you know military rifle stuff with M14s that just that they just glue the action and the stock together. That's interesting. Uh, it, yeah, and and it does work, and I understand it. You know, I mean, there is nothing more solid than that you know, it it does make a lot of sense, but if, you know, if you, if it's going to be a rifle that you use for hunting, you're going to want to be able to get that action and barrel out of that stock to be able to put some sort of a preservative on the bottom side of the action, the bottom side of the barrel, because moisture will build in there. One, one thing, uh, when you, when you are betting, when you are betting, you're going to want to, uh, make sure that the barrel doesn't contact any part of the stock uh, forward of about one inch of the recoil lug. Um, So the, the recoil lug is, is would be just in front of the action and it's inlet into the stock. Usually uh, like a Remington 700, it's a, I would say about a quarter inch piece of metal that fits a ring around the barrel and it drops down into a slot in the stock. When you bed, you really only want to bed to about one or two inches, maybe three inches in front of that, no more than where the contour of the barrel flattens out. Um, and and then from there, the, the barrel should not contact the stock any farther. Uh, a good way to do this is to use plumber's tape, which is the 10 mil uh, UPC tape that you can find at uh, any of your hardware stores it's black tape it says upc and they have different mil ratings well you can use you know 10 mil you can use two strips of 10 mil and that gives you 20 mil and so it's just a very easy way to hold an offset from the barrel from all sides of the barrel channel and it will keep keep the barrel from contacting anything. And then when you pull that out of the bedding, remove the tape, then it will, the barrel will sit exactly the same length from the barrel channel as as much tape as you put on the barrel.
0: Interesting. Uh, so in buying a use gun, use that as your budget rifle. You, you going to go and buy it, see if you can pick yourself up a used Remington 700 or a reputable brand like that. Uh, What is something, stuff to look out for? You know, obviously we talked earlier about checking the crown. Um, Any other things you would say to look out for? Because you don't want to buy a lemon, unknowingly buy a lemon, without being able to shoot the rifle. What are the things you would look for?
1: Okay. uh, I would look at the... The bolt lugs. If we're talking bolt guns, they, the locking lugs for whatever type of action it is. Uh, look at them and see if there's any type of um, deformation. Uh, you know, mushrooms raised up, any type of burrs or anything like that. That will, that will uh, signify that somebody tried to shoot some very hot loads through that that gun. And it, I would just say that that is going to be. Un, unsafe at that point um, other than that there's there's not a whole lot uh, so over overclocking in action like that can cause uh, stress fractures in it and it can shoot fine for five years you can shoot 500 rounds through it and you'll never even notice it until catastrophic failure day and you'll wish you never did that Right. Um and so there there's actually a lot of a lot of things that can be wrong, you know, little little things. So um getting getting a barrel recrowned is gonna cost probably forty five to sixty five dollars, you know, depending on where you take it and what kind of crown it is and what the barrel contour is. Uh, some crowns are easier to cut than others, but you're not looking at a whole lot of money. So if you can pick up a used R 700 and seven millimeter and it's got a dinged up crown, but you're getting it for 400 bucks, go ahead and do that, make that deal and then go and spend the 50 to a hundred dollars to go ahead and get the the crown uh, redone on it. Um, Headspace go no-go gauges don't cost that much. Um, So if you're out looking for a specific caliber, if so, you decide you want to go, you want to come out west and hunt uh, elk with a 7 mag, just buy the gauges, $50, and you've got them when you're there. And so then you'll be able to just tell that whether or not you've got a whole lot of problems in that barreled action combo. Uh, it doesn't cost a whole lot to get a, a barrel fit, uh, the barrels cost. And so if you're going to, if you're going to do that and you need to have the, the chambers elongated head spaces off, uh, the, the lugs are in a bad shape on the action, the locking lugs, um, just, just keep in mind that you need to save enough money on that rifle to justify having a, a new barrel put on it. Um, you, you know, you can, you can have a new barrel put on for you know, about a hundred dollars. Um, but depending on what barrel you get, you're going to spend uh two or $300 on something like that. So uh, there, there's a few things that can't be fixed in barrels. And it, it happens, especially in the, in those lightning fast laser rounds that we're, we're seeing a lot more of these days. And, uh, they, they just burn barrels out. Uh, barrels don't last that long when you start talking about tiny bullets moving very fast. Um, so be, be suspect of something, you know, like, uh, the six, five by 300, by
0: three, 300 weatherby magnum
1: yeah or uh you know a 2025 6 just just be aware that the reason that rifle may not shoot is because it's done been shot so it might need a new barrel and make sure you save enough money
0: though so we're uh we're running out of time here but I still want to touch briefly on the full custom build and this is of the three, the most expensive way to go about getting that Uh, But can still be done cheaper than buying a full custom out of the box. Uh, And ways you're looking at generally your action is your full custom builds are built on the R700 style action uh, which is the most common bolt action uh, we have right now. So when you're looking at those actions, you'll see if you're looking to to buy that super light rifle, um, they're going to be made out of things like titanium. And if you go to buy a titanium action, they are extremely expensive. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not any more accurate than a steel action not going to see a, a big difference in accuracy at least anything that you would notice to the naked eye
1: no no yeah you, you're not going to see any huge difference in accuracy but you are going to see a difference in weight right And so, so you you could you could save the money uh
0: and in reality if you're really stressing over two or three pounds in a rifle it's pretty easy to lose two or three pounds of gut
1: yeah yeah it's pretty easy or you know there are other ways to shave two or three pounds and two or three pounds on a rifle is a lot of weight um well i'll say this light stuff isn't cheap and cheap stuff isn't light that's true then and the best way to save the best way to carry less weight is to lose it because that is also cheap and light and it's good for your health and it's good for your health but it actually costs less to lose weight because if you just stop eating, you'll lose weight. <laughs> and, and then you ain't buying and all that food. money you
0: save on food, you can spend on gun parts, right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So, uh, this is probably my favorite way to build rifles is, is to do the full custom. I've built a couple ARs that way. And I like to do it uh, what I call uh, Johnny Cash in It, uh, where I literally buy it one piece at a time. He has the song, you know, One Piece at a Time. Yeah. Uh, and I get it, One Piece at a Time as I Can Afford It. And that takes me several months, or it could take me several years to build that rifle. But in the end, I get exactly what I want without going out and spending $500 on a base rifle, and then adding money on top of that and throwing away parts that came with that rifle. I'm literally throwing away money. Uh so you can if you had the time to piece it a time it then and you wanted that full the the feel of that full custom rifle that was built just for you then that would that would be the way to go and it requires like i said it's it's expensive uh but you can save money over
1: buying it completely built that way uh, absolutely and you, and i don't know how much time you'd actually lose and doing and Johnny cashing, it as you would over a full custom i mean the the best rifle makers in in America they're eighteen months to two years out, so you put an order and <laughs> they deliver in two years um so yeah, I mean you're not gonna lose a whole lot of time over a full custom by Johnny cashing it. You will end up having to do some of that work yourself um yeah, the the biggest thing that I can think of would be fitting your your action to stock fit um if you can do that yourself uh, what what a lot of makers do is they uh, they just run an algorithm you know on their cnc mill and it cuts for the action for any action or that action with tolerances and then they bed that action in there but if you can actually inlet like like Grandpappy did that action into the stock. You don't have to bet it. Uh, my howa is not betted because the when I inlet that action into the stock, the fit is so tight it may as well be betted because I didn't, you know. But that's shaving micromillimeters off, and it's a test fit micromillimeters test fit. And it it took a long time, but it's got a very tight match on it. And I don't know that hogging that out and bedding it would improve accuracy one bit over what I have right now. That's how that's how they used to make rifles is they used to fit them like that. And that's why they would shoot without bedding.
0: Right. Um, And, and, you know, also building a full custom like that requires tools. Uh, They're going to cost you a little extra money. But you can, it can still be done with, cheaper than, than buying that full custom build. But, all that being said, once you have the tools and you've built one, it becomes an addiction. Uh, it's a grown man's jigsaw puzzle.
1: Well, okay, so the tools are what cost money. I I have several times the amount of money in tools as I do in guns. Right. Several times. And so it's not it it's the cost of tooling that that is where that is why when you go have a full custom built they charge you so much because they have several times in tooling what that gun costs like several times they would have to make hundreds of those guns to recover tooling costs and wages for somebody to sit there and do like what i did for five months on your rifle stock to get it to fit that tight and it's the tooling and the manpower that you're paying for when you get a full custom rifle like that. Um, if, if it's something that you're looking at doing, a full custom like that, uh, the Bergara actions are a great place to start. The Hawa actions are a great place to start. Um, the Tikas, tika T3s, or they're great rifles, and one thing that I really like about the Tikas, the T3, right out of the box, you don't have to do anything. Those guns will flat shoot. And they're really not that expensive
0: in terms of rifle. You're, you're looking at a seven, $800 rifle, which is a lot of money to some people, a lot of money, but it's not something I can't save up and
1: buy it it is and if and you know if you're looking at if you're looking at coming out west and going to you know hunt northern utah next winter so 18 months from now you want to come out and hunt northern northern utah 18 months from now what is that 50 bucks a month yeah and you're into a Tika T3 by 18 months so you, you know it, it's easily doable and and those rifles will just straight shoot and so i i mean that is a rifle only and so you're probably going to need to spend at least $300 on glass and and so that's another thing that you need to look into but um i would say all told you're hunting out west with a extremely capable rifle for $1100 yeah and and you're definitely in it and, and but it, and it's also You know, say uh, in three years you're planning on going to Canada and taking caribou. It's extremely capable of being upgraded to handle those farther distances like that. And it's not a bad platform to purchase, start with, and build upon over the next seven to ten years and you could have you could end up with a full custom rifle Johnny Cash out of a Tika T3 you know one month at a time uh, and never have any downtime you're not you're not sitting and waiting for two years for your rifle to show up be able to go on it to be able to use it we're coming to the
0: last few minutes we got here
1: and we try to do a week you got a tip of the week alright tip of the week is clean your guns there is nothing that will um, improve your enjoyment with your firearms than than that freshly clean smell when you open that safe if you open the safe and it just smells like old musty underwear that's a no go like mine I open it and it just smells like butch's boar shine which is my favorite. I wish they made a perfume because if I could get my wife to wear that, <laughs> Do
0: you have a third kid.
1: <laughs> I'm, I probably have more than three. <laughs> so uh, keep them clean and and they'll never let you down. I've got I've got guns in my safe that are seventy years old and you'd swear that I bought them two weeks ago, just because my dad, his dad have taken care of them like that. I've taken care of them like that. And, and they're just, they're beautiful heirlooms. And the only way to have something like that, that lasts and becomes an heirloom is, is to take care of it. It doesn't take more than five minutes a day to clean it, take care of it. And, and they just keep showing up. Go ahead. And I, you know, I, I just, I, I can't blame them, you know, that's they're they're my tools. And so if something goes wrong with them, it's not their fault because I did something wrong. So you take care of it and you end up saving a lot of money and time just by taking five minutes, every time you shoot them, wipe them down, clean them up and, and they're just beautiful.
0: So I'm going to say that the, uh, cheapest and the easiest way to improve accuracy on any rifle is to practice um and that doesn't necessarily mean <clears throat> going to the range and spending all the money in ammunition you could get some snap caps and put them in there load them in the magazine chamber it dry fire uh practice trigger squeeze breathing you know the fundamentals of marksmanship um because there's a lot of accuracy or rifles to act uh simply because the shooter isn't doing <laughs> their um so you you can get out there and get snap snap caps cheap uh, and that's just a uh, or a dummy round something for the firing pin to fall on and a lot of the modern rifles now it doesn't hurt them to dry fire uh,
1: no no it doesn't and and dry fire away and one of the easiest ways not to steal your thing but <laughs> one of the easiest ways when you're dry firing is to use a white wall um a white wall with black crosshairs on it will show you if you are manipulating the gun in any way when you break that trigger Um just because there is no reference point behind it and so you'll actually see that white wall will jump or move or anything like that way before you would if you were aiming at a black spot on a white wall so that's just something to think about and uh, it it takes your focus actually off of the black spot and puts them on the crosshairs. And then, you notice the big movement of the white wall.
0: So uh, we're coming to the end and this has, so, you know, go on iTunes, uh, give us a review, give us your comments, your suggestions, reach over, hit that far right hand star. And I would say, especially if you've listened up to this point, you've got a reason to give us one at least at least four stars right so uh leave us a review tell us what you think tell us where we can improve tell us uh if you think we're a sound annoying uh, you hate my voice let me know i really don't care but you feel free to let me know um, and uh tell your friends about us if you guys want some of the under pressure outdoors gear then you can message me on facebook at the under pressure outdoors facebook page or instagram and i can get you hooked up uh, with the peacemakers and they can get you stuff made up and sent out to you um and yeah that's, i mean we're, we're gonna do a giveaway here in a couple weeks we're gonna give away some under pressure outdoors gear uh but you know again i'm broke so i gotta save up some money so that i can pay to give away under pressure outdoors gear <laughs> but uh that's all for you lovely people so uh, this has been another episode of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Oops. Ty, thank you for joining us.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank-